I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Alright, so this message is not really going to be anything practical here. Um, it's really all about the Lord our God and expanding our view of Him and, the, like I said before, the direction of this retreat tonight, tomorrow, all day. I'm going to speak in the morning and Daniel Grothy will be here tomorrow night. And the direction is let's look at God. Let's focus on God. Let's worship God. And then on Sunday morning, Adam Molesky is going to be here. And he, that'll be when the direction changes for the retreat. And we will receive from God. So yes, Lord, we will receive communion on Sunday. So tonight's talk, and I don't know if you noticed, but all the worship songs were to God. Not, like, not really asking God to be here, but let's, let's just let's focus on God. He is transcendent. Talk about that word tomorrow. He is awesome. He is holy. And that's what it's all about. So this retreat is called Magnified. There's two types of magnification, maybe more. Uh, we'll keep it simple and just say there's micro and uh, magnification and telescopic magnification. The microscope, anybody spend some time looking in a microscope? Anybody doing that now? Yeah, me too. Um, I had one as a kid, probably spent hundreds of hours micro, just putting anything I could onto little slides and looking at them. And then in college, my undergrad degree was biology, which is, if you want to be a pastor, that's what you, you need to do that, like I did. It's a really great degree to have. Um, and I, at one point in my life, I was looking, I had a genetics class and a microbotany class, microbiology class, a zoology class. Um, let's see, a research method, methods class, and I was spending so much time looking under microscopes and all these labs and stuff that I thought, you know what I need to do, because I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing this kind of stuff, is I need to spend a lot of money to get my own microscope. So I was looking at microscopes for three grand. It was like my life savings at the time. And I'm really glad I did buy that, because now I just have this microscope collecting dust. Um, like $3,000 bill to show for it. So I did do that, but here's the analogy. If we microscope God, that's blasphemy. If we take God and think we can put him in a little slide and maybe add some salt and see what he does, that's ridiculous. That's blasphemy. The God is not small, needing us to make him bigger. Um, that's blasphemy. And we kind of as a pastor, as someone who's been a Christian a while, sometimes we kind of sell God as like, uh, really like, to be honest, uh, and this is not a good thing, we, we kind of think God is really small, we really want to make Him big, and it comes across sometimes like uh, really bad infomercials, like late at night, like they're selling you this horrible thing, it's for four payments of $19.99, and but wait, if you call now, we'll throw in this piece of junk too. And it's like, Anyways, and when we we can do that with God if we really believe that He's really not that big, and we're like, look, we can magnify God in this microscope. Instead, I'm going to talk about telescopes in just a second, and that's maybe how the, the vast expanse of God, who He is, what He's created, and just like glimpsing just a piece of it from a telescope. 
that's not blasphemy. That's standing in awe of what who God is and what He has created. And um, I think, do you know what commandment number two is? <laughs> no false idols. Yeah, do not make for yourself false idols. The first one is uh, do not have any other gods before me. Second one, do not make an idol. Um, and, and you might say, oh, well, no, I don't make an idol. That's ridiculous. I don't have one of those little Buddhas in my living room and I put little coins on it. Check that box. I don't do that. Or maybe you haven't whittled anything out of wood and like, when no one's looking, you're in your closet bowing down to it. Um, if you do that, it's like, well, don't. It says not to, clearly. So you might just say, okay, check, check that box. I'm, I'm not worshiping. I'm not making an idol. But if we... Think about God in ways that are not true. That is, in a way, making an idol. We're saying things about God that are not true, and we're believing them, then that is idolatry. That is, think about it like this. Like some of these things, there's truth to some of these things, but if you have a God that doesn't see sin, um, like, like, oh, God you know, doesn't really see me, doesn't really care if I sin, that would be a misconception. That would be, in some ways, idolatry. Uh, if you have a God that is just your homeboy, um, that's in some ways idolatry. There's some truth to that. He's your friend. But if that's all he is, then there, there's more to who God is. Uh, if you have a God that you can just use, if you have a God that you can serve sometimes when convenient, that's a form of idolatry. If you have a God that is just the God of retreats, like, oh, you meet God at retreats. and I don't know, Is anybody a retreat junkie? I guess this would be <laughs> Fair place to be, I guess. Um, if your God is like a Santa Claus God or a sugar daddy God that just gives you stuff, and that's all he does, all your prayers are just about getting stuff from God and asking all the time, then that's in some ways idolatry. And if you have a God that um, is just always mad at you and, and never... Uh, giving you mercy to have that image of God. Well, that's in some ways idolatry. It's changing who God really is. If you have a God that just is a God of crises in your life, um, then, well, of course he's a God of crises, but if that's all he is, if you know, if you really don't think about God too much unless something happens in your life, somebody breaks up with you, or you fail a test, and then it's like, oh God, I need you. Well, that's just a God of crisis mode, and in some ways that is Idolatry. In some ways that is thinking God is smaller than he is and feeling like you need to um, microscope God. That's blasphemy. That's idolatry. Instead, telescopes are pretty cool. Anybody own a telescope? One, two, three, four, five hands. Sweet. I have just got one. Eric and I uh, had an anniversary. We got some money for our anniversary, which is pretty cool because like... Those of you that aren't married, it's like another time during the year where you get cash. Um, it's like birthdays and Christmas, and then when you're, when you're married, you get anniversary money. So we bought a telescope with our anniversary money. We thought it would be cool to do date nights and look at stars. Uh, how romantic, right? right. So, thank you. Um, <laughs> when we look at the inexhaustible expanse that God has created in the sky and we just look at one star like that and stand in awe of what he has made. That is a correct 
type of magnification. That's how God should be magnified. God shouldn't be magnified in microscopes, like, oh, I'm going to put God on a little slide, and I got God in a box, and I got him all figured out, and he's small, and I can control him. That's blasphemy. That's idolatry. Instead, the telescope analogy is so much better. We gaze upon God. We worship his majesty. Has anyone ever seen, not just in a picture, but with their own eyes, through a telescope, the rings of Saturn? One, two, three, four, five. That's it? You guys need to see that. I remember in my college years, the first time I saw it, there was this random little party. Um, looking back, I think it's actually a really cool party. But at the time, I was like, this party stinks. And what it was, was the parents of the college ministry. So imagine all you guys in a room and all your parents in a room. And that's what it was. It was like, this, it was, they just did this once a year. And looking back, as a little old, like I'm 36, so looking back, I was like, that was so cool that I got to meet everybody's parents and know where they come from. That was a really cool, that was a really good night. But at the time, I was like, this part stinks. Mom's here, Dad. Like, I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to talk to this girl. And, and so there was this guy that was also kind of antisocial, and uh, he was out in the middle of the driveway with a telescope, and he was like a super nerd guy because his telescope was like this big. If you know anything about telescopes, you know that the bigger diameter scopes are much better scopes, and you're looking at hundreds and not thousands of dollars for a big one. And I remember. I'm saying he made it. And I was like, dude, this is weird. Now, where, who are you? And he told me, and I was like, I don't care. Um, I was really a punk back then. Uh, I still am in a lot of ways. But uh, I'm standing up there, and I was like, this party stinks. Parents are here. Um, and he was like, you want to see Saturn? And I was like, whatever, this party stinks. And so he said, let me get it set up. And he was really quick and said, if you know anything about telescopes, you know that usually like setting one up to look at something can take a half hour just to get it in focus, find out where it is. But he did it right away. And he said, take a look at this. It's Saturn. And I looked inside. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. It's, I see the rings and I see the color. And I was just like, wow, this party is awesome. <laughs> this is incredible. And, and those of you that have seen it, it was your experience the same? It's like, wow, that is so cool. You need to see it sometime with your own eyes. That is in our sky. And wow. And it was right around the time, uh, so this is like back, like I'm thinking it's like 97 or 98, so some of you are probably just getting bored. Uh, <laughs> but it was right after 1996, that really cool Skillet song came out, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and it cool now, um, but the lyrics are, it's a really cool analogy, Saturn has a ring around it, you know the song? Many moons know this to be true, heaven has, and then the, the lyrics kind of change, and it's like, oh, you're just singing about Saturn? No, you're, actually this analogy, heaven has a ring around it, the angels sing a song of you, heaven has a ring around you, if you don't see it, know that it's true, Saturn has been in the sky for a very long time, but we're just, I just then, in 97 or 98, saw it, it's like, wow, I didn't know that that was out there, that creation that God had made was out there. That's so cool. And, uh, yeah, I just remember seeing 
Like, wow, God created that. And it's been out in the sky for a really long time. I'm just now seeing it. As far as humans go, people didn't even have telescopes to see it until the 1600s. The first guy to uh, see it and describe it was a guy named Christian Huygens. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Galileo saw it with his telescope, but he wasn't, really wasn't sure what he was seeing. Um, the aim of one day is to be all together and worshiping God in His glory and standing in awe of who He is. Like at the kingdom, when it comes fully, at the resurrection, and we could talk about eschatology and how that's all going to work out, I'm not really sure, but the aim, the goal, the eschaton of our existence is to stand, to be in front of God and He in front of us, and we might know Him as He has known us, and just be in awe of God, who He is. Remember in Sunday school as a little kid, the teacher telling us what heaven was going to be like. And she's a really nice, sweet old lady um, teaching our Sunday school class. And I was just a punk. Um, once again, her name was Gert. <laughs> and last name was Smells. So me and my little brother would chant, Who smells? And we'd say, Gert smells. That's <laughs> horrible. Uh, this nice lady teaching our Sunday school class wanted to teach us about what heaven was going to be like. And I was a little punk. And she said, here's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be like a non-never-ending church service where you can just worship God all day and all night. And I was like, I'm sorry, how, how long is that church service? <laughs> and it all I cared about at that point in my little life was playing Super Mario Brothers, the original, original one, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and that's all I got to play until my fingers hurt. And my, my mom was like, ah, my fingers hurt. Stop playing. I was like, I can't. It's so much fun. <laughs> and, and so the, 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 as a kid, I just I was so bored by church. Um, and this lady saying that that's what heaven was going to be like, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. <laughs> this is the worst thing I can imagine. Um, but maybe she did. She did she, to a little kid. She didn't describe being in the presence of God as as well as a little kid could understand it. Um, I'm going to read for us Ezekiel chapter one, the whole thing. So I'm going to get you ready to uh, hear that. And it's, gonna, it's the whole chapter is quite long, and we're going to read the whole thing. So I thought, what? Well, there's nothing better than to get together and read scripture, and it's it's going to be. Uh, it's a really cool passage of scripture about the presence of God and being in front of who he is. But first I want to build up to that um, and, and talk about what Ezekiel experiences. <clears throat> because what he experiences very, must have been very hard to describe. And some of the words he uses are very interesting word choices. And he describes the best he can, I imagine... Uh, in words on paper that we now have, what this experience of what God coming before him was like, and then his presence, and this is going to talk about creatures, and when we sang some of the lyrics about uh, the angels, and, and just all this vision of what heaven coming to earth is like, and it's not boring, it's not an endless, as a kid, like a boring church service, like you just standing in awe of who God is, the most amazing thing. Um, and so it might kind of be like, um, I gave this analogy in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, and I don't like it so much, I'll repeat it here. Um, it might be like someone from a 3D world trying to uh, 
explain or appear to someone in a 2D world. The, the analogy is called the Flatlands analogy. It's from the 1800s. A guy named Edwin Abbott um, wrote this analogy. He was a mathematician and a school teacher, and he wrote this little book about living. If, like, what if there was people living in a 2D world, like little Super Mario Brother world, where all you have is height and, and width and no, no dimension? Uh, so it's a flat land, and so all you can see is like right, you know, just one one little line, and all you can do is go this way or this way or up and down like Mario. You can go into little tunnels, you can eat little mushroom things or whatever Mario does, um, and that's that's it. So if a three D person like you and I live in three dimensions, um, we go to Mario and want to mess with him. We could like go up to him and like put our hand right next to the screen, and if Mario was really real, he'd be like, "Whoa, do you feel that? It's like the hand of the something like outside of this world. That's so weird." And Luigi would be like, "What are you talking about? I don't sense anything. This is weird." Um, or you could uh, maybe put something into the screen of Mario's world, like a cup or something. You take a cup and put it onto the screen. Mario would see a blob, and you push it in further, and you'd see a U. Uh, the cup because it's just two dimensions and then we get bigger and then you pull it out and it gets smaller and you see a little blob and Mario would be like whoa that was a cup and Luigi would be like you don't even know what that is because you live in a 2D world and Mario would be like well I sense I feel and the words that he would try to use wouldn't make any sense they would they would talk about and Ezekiel's going to say things like their appearance was something like and it's just like well what was it Tell us what it was. Don't say its appearance was like. And he just I feel like he just runs out of words describing the awesome beauty and majesty of God appearing to him. Maybe like uh, someone... Have you ever seen... There's lots of YouTube videos out now of like people seeing or hearing for the first time. Have you seen some of those? Raise your hands if you've seen some of those. They, they just make you cry. And uh, it's like I just saw one of a guy... Uh, with like these somehow cool goggles on, I have no idea how it works. But he sees for the for the first time, and he's he's, he's like older. He has children, and his, his son said, "Dad, what's it like to see?" And he says, "It's eye opening." He's like, "What else are you gonna say?" And then he just starts weeping, and he's apologizing. He's like, "Why are you apologizing? You are experiencing something." That you can't put into words. There, there's just you're, you. You were blind, and now you see. And what you're seeing, you can't describe it. It's impossible. Um, there was this study. Uh, it was like the 1930s. Um, <clears throat> this guy named Marius von Sinden, a German dude. Uh, right in the 1930s was when this um, operation was happening. It's a pretty common operation now to remove cataracts from people's eyes. So people born with these big cataracts in their eyes were born totally blind. And then as the surgery became popular in the 1930s, this cataract surgery became uh, easy to do. And so all these people that were born blind were able to see. And so this guy, I said his name, Marius Benzenden, went around and interviewed and kind of did little experiments with all these people that had from birth never seen. And so some of them, of course, would be teenagers or kids or uh, their 20s or 40s or elderly lived their whole life, never saw this simple surgery, somewhat simple, I guess, uh, that we now consider simple. Um, they did the surgery, and they're able to see for the first time. This guy goes around and interviews 66 people, kind of does some experiments on them, um, and, and finds out that people that can see 
for the first time, they have never seen, have no idea what they're seeing. Duh. But they have no idea of like, no idea. They just blew them away. No idea of depth. No idea what in the world they're seeing. Like if you, so you, you took one of these patients that can now see, um, and he has to close your eyes, handed them a ball, and handed them a cube, and said, which one's which? And the, the, the person that can now see, with, but with their eyes closed, was like, duh, the, the, this one's the ball, this one's the cube, duh. Um, and then he hands them to the, the guy, the guy holds them up, says, okay, now open your eyes, which one's the ball, which one's the cube? No idea. Like, none. Like, I have no idea which one is which. Like, how far is that wall? No idea. Is it, is it a mile? Is it three steps? Is it, can I touch it? No idea. Um, what one patient described lemonade is like, what's this lemonade look like? And he said, square. And said, what? Why did you say square? He said, well, I, I had a sip earlier. I know that's really bitter. And it's like a square in my mouth. And, and so that's what a square must look like. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Whatsoever. <laughs> One patient asked, like, why do some people have marks on their face? I said, what do you mean marks? Well, sometimes people have marks on their face. And he said, no, then what are you talking about? And it's, sure enough, like, you probably look at my face and there's probably like a dark area. Those aren't marks, those are called shadows. It's like, oh, I didn't know. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning how to see and what you're seeing for the first time. And the words you use to describe that are just so out of this world. And so where we're getting to Ezekiel here where he's seeing something, the presence of God for the first time in his life and trying to describe it, having no idea, no idea the words to use. Uh, one person, one of the patients that was blind and could see, uh, was trying to learn distances because that's really hard for uh, a newly seen person that was blind. And so his little game was he took his boot off and would throw it across the room and then try to get it. And you would just say, walk over and pick it up. But no idea how far away it is. No idea if that's a door or if I could walk through this area. No idea whatsoever. So he would judge. He would try to figure out how far things were by playing that little game. So we're going to read Ezekiel. And imagine it's something like seeing for the very first time. A vision of God and this glory that that he sees. Um... It's, it's just, it's beautiful. It will blow you away. If you want, um, how many of you have taken notes? A couple people? Oh, lots of you. If you want, you can try to draw this. Some of you might, like, oh, we're, to, to, to put this down may help your imagination understand maybe what Ezekiel's seeing. Some of you might want to close your eyes. Um, but imagine for yourself what is happening here. This is God coming to earth, His presence, just His presence, because there's other verses that say, but no one's ever seen God and lived, and Jesus Christ has made Him known. So it was like, what was Ezekiel seeing exactly if no one's ever seen God? Oh, he was just seeing the, what the presence of the Lord is like. And that, it's just interesting. So if you want, you can turn there. I'm going to read in the New King James Version um, this passage. So uh, how many of you are going to draw? Anybody? Okay, a couple of people are going to draw. Good. We'll see what those look like afterwards, if you're willing. It's going to get really messy really quick. In fact, I encourage you to draw. It'd be, it'd be cool to see some of your drawings. Um, and uh, it may be cool for you to look back on and see what you drew. So here's what it says. Ezekiel chapter 1. We're going to read the whole thing. 
It's going to take a while, and your imagination hopefully is going to be blown away. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chibar. That's in the Middle East. Uh, and he's, so he's a captive. He's not in his land. His land is Judah. He's been taken away. And he's in this uh, a foreign country. He's by a river. And the heavens were opened and he saw visions of God. Verse 2, on the fifth day of the month. So that's, that's the second time he says what day it is. And so he really wants you to know, like, just talking about like, oh yeah, this one day something cool happened. And then, no, it's the fifth day of the month. Fourth, fourth month, fifth day of the month, he really wants you to know where he was, when it was, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressingly to Ezekiel, the priest. So he's a priest. Talk about that in a second. The son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chibar. So the second time he said where he was. Second time he says what day it is. It's like, really want you to know this happened. What's about, what he's about to say is going to sound like that didn't really happen. But he really wants you to know this really happened. Uh, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Verse 4. Then I looked and behold a whirlwind. So you got that? You drawn that? Whirlwind was coming out of the north and a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. Scary. The brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber and out of the midst of the fire. So there's fire and light. And also from within came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. It's, like, it's hard to describe what four creatures looking like one man would be. Um, but each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished uh, bronze. That's like bronze that's been really highly shined. The hands of the man were under the wings on the four sides. And each of the four had faces and wings. The wings touched each other. So I imagine by now if you're just trying to draw this, things just got really weird and confusing. Um, <laughs> But he, it sounds like Ezekiel sees this and just just runs out of words. He's using things like the likeness was the appearance of this likeness. Um, the creatures did not turn when they went. He's going to say that phrase a bunch of times. The creatures don't turn when they go. But each of them goes straight forward. Uh, he really wants you to know that their, their movement is just interesting. It's weird. Like these creatures are moving, but they're not turning. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man... Each had uh, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had a face of an ox on the left side, and each had a face. Each of the four had the face of an eagle. So there's lots of faces, and and they have wings. Thus, there were faces, and their wings stretched outward. Two, two wings, one on each side, one another, and the two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. So it's the same again. They don't, they don't turn, but they move. It's just interesting. Um, and so far, that's just like the appearance of God, the glory of God. Is He starts talking about these other creatures, like maybe God's entourage or this, this being that's with God. That it, Maybe it's part of God, it's the presence of God, and that's what is being seen. 
Verse 13 is, For the likeness of the living creatures, their own appearance was like, lots of likes here, burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like the flashes of lightning. So it's all, it's all moving. It's really hard to describe something that's moving. Describe the guitar, it's sitting there, and say, oh, it's, it's this, and that strings, and it's white. But if it's, if it's moving all around, it'd be very hard to describe. Um, now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth besides each living creature with its four faces, and the appearance of the wheels and their workings was like, the, the like thing, the color of beryl, I think that's how you pronounce it, it's a clear mineral that's tinted green kind of. And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they had moved, they went forward uh, toward any one of the four directions. And they did not turn aside when they went. It's really like that phrase keeps coming back. They're moving, but they're not turning. Um, As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all over them, all, all four of them. So it's like that feeling of like a bunch of people watching you maybe, like feeling I have right now, maybe. (laughs) Watching you. Presence of the Lord seeing everything. As for the rims, excuse me, I just read that. Um, When the, verse 19, when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them and went, uh, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, because the Spirit went, and the wheels were lifted together with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together as for them. And the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So it's like somehow there's, the spirit is controlling these wheels. And it's all like a big blur, but lots of light and eyes and uh, awesomeness. Verse 22, the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like... The color of awesome crystals stretched out of their heads. These living creatures, the wheels, and then there's, it's called a firmament in the New King James, or like a covering or a sky right above them. And it says this, And under the firmament there, wings spread out straight, one toward another. Each one had uh, covered one side. Each one had two, which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of the ring, the wings like the noise of many waters, and the voice of the Almighty, a tumult. Like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And a voice came from the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And so far, all that was being described is, I'm going to use air quotations, the vehicle on which it seems like God on his throne comes riding in on. Ezekiel was a priest. And you know about uh, the tabernacle of the temple um, in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and, and the Ark has these, these wings, and the glory of the Lord sits there. So I imagine that you hear the phrase, the wings, the wings, the wings, and the presence of the Lord, and it's, it's awesome, and there's light, and there's loud, loud noises. Verse 26, and above the firmament, over their heads, was a likeness of a throne. In its appearance, it was like sapphire. And the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. And then the King James, New King James Version is going to start using capitalizing his and he. So you know he, the, the, the writers here, the translators are, this, this is God, the presence of the Lord at least. Also from the appearance of his, 
waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire and brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when Ezekiel sees it, he fell on his face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. And then chapter 2 is going to say, Basically, Ezekiel, go tell the people this message that I have for you. And some, of them are, some of them are going to listen, some of them are not going to listen. But you go and you tell them. And then as the vision closes, chapter 3, um, he hears voices. And the Hebrew translation is, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place. And he hears noises of wings hitting each other and the wheels and a thunderous voice, a uh, thunderous noise. And then Ezekiel sits for seven days in awe of what he just saw. Wow. And he describes it. And then we have that writing and we just read it, the whole thing. It's a hard, it's an image that is, it's, first of all, it's hard to picture. You're like, it seems like Ezekiel doesn't know exactly what he's seeing, all this appearances of and likeness of. But it's seen and he can't unsee it. And he sits for seven days in awe. And so we're going to sit in awe. I thought we would take a moment of just, just be quiet for a second. And, and sit in awe. And, and our, our direction is still to God. It's, it's we're worshiping him right now. We worshiped him with music. We worshiped him reading the, the text of scripture. We worshiped him. Uh, listening to these words that the Lord, I believe, has given me. And now we're going to go worship Him in silence. So we're going to take a couple minutes. We're going to be silent and sit before the Lord in awe. So Lord, would you be over this time as we sit and just worship you. As we sit and, and be in awe of who you are. Lord, allow this image of Ezekiel, what he saw, to penetrate our hearts and our minds that but one day we will stand before you and, and you'll be there and it'll be like seeing for the first time for those patients that got to experience that in their life, living blind and seeing for the first time, having no idea what to say, no idea what they're looking at. But at the same time, it's like, I've, I've been around this stuff my whole life. And in and, and the same way we might go before you and say, oh Lord, I knew that you would be just like this. I never saw you, and I have no idea how to describe you, because you are awesome, and you are holy, and you are good. Would you stay with me? <coughs> that phrase um, that ends the vision. It says, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place. And it's a big, booming voice that says that. This is what I really hope this weekend will be for us, that, that we would say, blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place. And that we might, our direction would be totally upon Him, that we would worship Him with this weekend, worship Him by singing songs, worship Him by the community and fellowship that we'll have all weekend. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from His
this place. I'm going to say it again, and then I want all of us to say it. It's blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place.
We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.